Amen. Please remain standing and hear the words of our Lord. I'm going to begin with the same passage that I read last Lord's Day as well, and we will pluck from this one again. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 22, these are the words of God. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Let us pray. Hear now again, Father, with this passage and your whole counsel before us. Open our hearts and minds, bend our will and desire to yours, and lift up the name of Jesus Christ in the preaching and in our living by means of your Holy Spirit. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> well, you already know, but it, it is bare, it, it's worth repeating. We live in a world in the grip of egalitarianism. It is all around us. We are awash in a sea of no difference. There are no differences. In almost every area of life, in every area of relationships, in every area of, uh, of in, whether it's institutions, whether it's family, um, whether it's the church, there is no sense of anything um, that has any hint of hierarchy, of responsibility, of submission. Um, of, uh, there, there are no universal definitions of marriage. There are no assigned roles anymore for husband and wife. There's no as assigned biology anymore, male and female. We lament, we lament the world's redefining of marriage today. The church does. Our church does. We lament that the, that the world thinks that it has the right or that the government has the right to redefine marriage. But I, I wonder, where did they learn this? We've been redefining marriage and the roles of marriage and the roles of husbands and wives in the church for generations now. We are a people who believe that we can open up God's word and say, I'm willing to follow, maybe, or I might want to redefine a little bit what he's actually saying here. And so I wonder how much of what we see in the world is a result of the church's own abdication to submit to God's word and to submit to the King, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the one who holds all things together. And through his Father, the word has been spoken uh, as to how we are to live, and especially how we are to live in this organization that he calls family which becomes the, the very pieces, the building blocks of society. 
You've got to have family in order to reproduce, in order to pass on traditions, in order to instill worldview, to introduce the next generation to God, not just in, through proposition, but through living it out in a home over years and decades. These are the building blocks of what makes either a faithful or an apostate society. That's why we're talking about these issues um, these few weeks here. Instead, our world says that we are just simply the result of random chance. So we can just construct ourselves. We can construct our families. We can construct society any way we want with no repercussions, with no consequence, um, other than the consequences that might come from our own decisions. But we don't see any of that as sitting under a judge who blesses those who obey and who chastises and eventually curses those who rebel and walk away. So in reality, the throwing off of the old tired traditions in the name of women's rights and feminism has been to the detriment and security of, of everyone, but mostly women. Mostly women find themselves in harm's way in our society because of what we have thrown off with regard to men and husbands and fathers particularly, being responsible to provide and protect, build up and care and give away their daughters and, and see the establishment of faithful families building and rebuilding and growing. C.S. Lewis years ago wrote these words. He said, a society in which, in which conjugal infidelity is tolerated must always be in the long run a society adverse to women. Women, whatever a few male songs and satires may say to the contrary, are more naturally monogamous than men. It is a biological necessity. Where promiscuity prevails, they will therefore always be more often the victims than the culprits. Women are the victims of our anti-biblical views of marriage and sex and procreation. Women are really the ones who are the victims. But when women take on their appointed directives from the Lord in society, in family, the fruitfulness, the glory, and the satisfaction abound. It was not good for man to be alone. And so God caused the man to be put into a deep sleep, and he took from the man a rib and formed for, from that rib a woman. And he brought that woman to the man. And when he did that, he brought to her the person who would glorify everything that he would ever do. He brought him to a, a person who would be a companion to him in the mission that God had given him to, to give or, or, or to do. And he gave him a person who with him would, would be able to do what he could not do on his own, which would be to fill the earth, to build society, to build the kingdom of God that God had commanded God, uh, man to build. And so a woman, this fruitfulness, glory, and satisfaction that a woman is blessed with from God and then is to give to the world around her, sounds like this in the end of Proverbs 31. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing. But a woman, a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. 
Give, give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. Men, do you know what you have? Husbands, do you know what you have received? Wives and women, do you know who you are? Do you understand the distinct difference that God has placed in you and then through you to the praise of the glory of his grace and to the building of the kingdom of God? Well, just like I did in the last sermon, I want to start with first things first. We're going to talk about what it means to be wives, mothers, fruitful, what is femininity. We really have to start with first things first. A wife, verse 22 says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Well, a wife can't submit to her own husband as to the Lord unless she knows what it is to submit to the Lord. (laughs) How can she know what it means to be submitting to her husband as to the Lord if she's not first submitting to the Lord? She has to first obey as to the Lord. This means that she must know what it means to have come under the loving authority of her heavenly father. She she must understand not not just what it means to have given her heart to Jesus, but what it means to have come under the loving authority of her heavenly Father. She knows him. She knows his authority. She loves him. She must drink deeply of the waters of forgiveness and grace. Women, men men have this difficulty as well, but women particularly live live with guilt that they, they won't get rid of. Because they don't know their heavenly father. And they don't know, they don't know love and grace that is so outpoured. Remember the, remember the, uh, the uh, prayer I told you to read for one another and pray for one another at the end of Ephesians chapter 3? You need to pray that for your wife. You need to, and wives, you need to pray that for yourself. Women, you need to pray that for yourself. You, you need to understand the depth of the grace of God. The love that he has for you. The the. the when, when you hear the words of a minister say, your sins are forgiven, I'm not kidding. And God's not kidding. And he is able to take you, any one of us, but you right where you are, and take you from that point to a journey of glory and grace and freedom and blessing that you cannot imagine, because he's God. And he's sovereign over your life. Women need to understand the the forgiveness and grace and their identity as daughters of the king. As their identity in Christ for their life and for their eternal security. In such a way that they would repeat the words of Paul in Philippians. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them all as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him. There's that knowledge again. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Identity in Christ. It starts there. Identity in Christ. But then also, just as with a man, to be a woman is a call to discipleship. It is a call to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And while she is called to respond to her husband with obedience, respect, and submission, all of that 
is in response to her loyalty, her first loyalty to Christ. All of that flows from her loyalty to Christ. She is to submit to her own husband as to the Lord first. She is to understand what it is that he has called her to whatever position she finds herself in. Therefore, submission to husbands must be taught with the important caveat of teaching women their responsibility to, for instance, be an Abigail if married to a Nabal. I hope you know what I mean. If not, go back and read the story of David and Abigail. It's not an absolute kind of submission. That's not, that's not what he's talking about. Um, Abigail was a faithful woman. Go and see what she did. As with man's first love, so with the woman's first loyalty, it must be to the Lord Jesus Christ. A wife's submission to her husband is never absolute because it is as to the Lord. And because it is that, there are times when a woman submissively declines to follow her husband and even goes to other authorities. However, that is not the usual place where applying these verses is difficult. I have to say that also. <laughs> there is no absolute submission to, in, there's no absolute authority in, in a human for, that has been given to a human. It's all delegated from the Lord. And, and the appeal always can be made to the Lord. The appeal can be made to other authorities in, in certain situations as well. But just as quick as I say that, I I think it's also important to understand that our flesh, our flesh always battles against being under, being under the authority of others. And so usually the issue with difficulty and submission is not necessarily a high and lofty and wise uh, difficulty or struggle that is going on at all. But while this is about the role of a wife and mother, I also have to say that it must, it must be made clear that the scriptures require that hus- the husband take full responsibility for his wife's embrace of her role. See the last sermon. So it's his responsibility to make sure that she understands what it is to be in this role with these duties. And... The husband is never commanded to tell his wife that she is to submit. The command is given directly to the wife from the Lord. What is he commanded? He is commanded to take full and and complete responsibility for her in this passage to make sure that she is washed, that the word has been given to her, placed in her, um, nurtured within her, that 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 she is directed to find her complete satisfaction in the Lord, that she she knows of a a masculine, sacrificial love from her husband. That's what the, the husband's commanded to do. Take responsibility for the state of his home. Well, so, so how does that work then? One, one fa- pastor friend of mine put it this way. He said, a wife must submit to her husband, and a husband must make that submission a joy for his wife. I'm not sure which is the greater challenge. Because we're all so stubborn, aren't we? <laughs> we're all so self-serving. It's, it's just very obvious that God knows our weaknesses and then, and then preaches to our weaknesses, commands to our weaknesses. Husbands, love your wives. Why? Because you're not very good at it. Wives, submit to, respect, obey your husbands. Why? Because you're not very good at it. He commands to our weaknesses. He admonishes to weaknesses and he encourages us to our weaknesses to be the kind of strong women 
who understand that they find their strength in the midst of these roles as being members in the society that are, that are a part of changing the world. First Peter would even say that, that a woman who is obeying her husband in this kind of way changes her husband. And is, it has the ability to change and transform uh, even a, a, a rebellious husband in a way that nobody else can. It's in First Peter 3. So she has a, a, an incredible place. And the other thing I want to just say is I... I know in many ways I'm preaching to the choir. Both, I'm preaching to the choir in two ways. Both, I, also, I know it is really a struggle. I also know that there are wonderful, godly examples in our midst of women who understand, who will not listen to the lives of the cultures around us, will not give themselves over to the, to the provocative lies of, 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 of freedom, when in essence, they end up being, I mean, if you just, just look at the caricature of a woman who believes that there's no difference between a woman or a man, no difference between a wife or a husband in roles, there's no difference between the sexes, and just, just in your caricature, you know how she dresses, you know how she looks, and you know how she feels deep down inside. Most of them dress in such misery and despair, and it's obvious. But there is a glory and a beauty about understanding what it means to be a man in Christ, what it means to be a woman in Christ, what it means to be a husband and a wife, what it means to be a father and a mother. These are not chains. They are doorways to freedom and strength and dominion that God has given to us. So what is the ministry of a wife? In the role of a wife, a particular woman has been made for a particular man to be his helper in the work of obeying God. We see both the establishment of the pattern in Genesis, Adam and, and then Eve is created, but we also see there a particular woman was created for a particular man, and, and so God does this. And when a, when a marriage takes place, what you have is a particular man and a particular woman who have been brought together to work together in obeying God, and she's been brought to be his helper, particularly in the work of obeying God. To be in submission to her husband is to be under his mission, sub, under, mission, his mission. And his mission is the obedience of God. Back to the garden again. We have Adam, and he's, he's told what to do. I want you to go, and basically I want you to take over this world that I've created. I want you to make of it like you see here in the garden. I want you to spread that out. I want you to fill it, take dominion, subdue, and rule it in my name. I want you to be like me in my name, with my character, my characteristics. And then when, when the wife is brought, when the woman is brought, when Eve is brought, she comes along under that mission. That mission, the obedience of God, to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it. His mission and his, the tendency of his mission points outward, and her submission points towards him. Now, I'm not, that's not to say that, it's, that she, he never points towards her, and it's not to say that she doesn't have any sense of outward focus, but there's a primacy and a distinctiveness in the role here, where his is an outward focus and hers is a towards him focus. He should and will be more task-oriented, therefore, and she should and will be more relationship-oriented. It's built in even to the very fabric and the, um, uh, and the biology of a man who is stronger, who's built with testosterone, who is a fighter, who is a provider, a protector by, by nature. She's a nurturer. 
a life giver. She's, she's immediately directed more relationally than he that is more task-oriented. Biblical submission is to be rendered by a wife to her own husband. It says here in, in 522, it's also in 1 Peter 3.1, rendered to her own husband. And this is where it's gotten messed up over, over the church, over different ages in, in terms of misteaching. So while the cosmos, we talked about this last week, while the cosmos is patriarchal in its very nature, where men should generally be leading in all aspects of society, there is no requirement of universal submission of women to men. That's not, that's not how it plays out. Nor of any given woman to any given man. This submission is to her own husband and not to any other man. And it is actually a protection from that. It is actually a protection from her having to fall under the submission of all men. And then we talked last week about masculinity. What is a feminine ministry? What is femininity? Her respect, submission, and obedience to her husband flows from her femininity. Masculinity recalls the glad assumption of sacrificial responsibility. Masculinity is not machoism. Masculinity is the glad assumption, I take it on, of sacrificial responsibility. For everything I, am, I, I have been told that I am the head of, I, am res, I, I have responsibility for, I take that sacrificially and gladly. I assume it. Femininity is the grateful responsiveness to that initiating responsibility with grace, wisdom, and glory. A coming alongside in, in, in a relationship, in that relationship, when the, when, the, when the one who is masculine initiates, the one who is feminine responds gladly with grace, wisdom, and glory, bringing to that oftentimes things that the other one doesn't even have. So femininity is this grateful response. So it looks like things like this. He builds a house, she makes a home. He gives the seed, she makes a child. And through it all, there is this mutual indwelling of one another, just as the son submits to the father, and yet are equal in nature and value. We, we see in 1 Corinthians that, that um, God, while God is equal, all three persons are equal in, in, in their value, they're equal in their Godhead, they're equal in, their, um, in, in, in all their qualities, yet there is an economic difference between um, the son and the father. So, the son responds similar to a feminine response to the masculine initiation of the father. And, the, and mankind it responds to Christ in that feminine way, and wives respond to their husbands in that feminine way, to the initiation of those who are taking responsibility for them. So, um, what, and, and that's where you, when that, that is going on at the very same time that the father and son are in a perfect mutual indwelling relationship of love, of glor glorifying one another back and forth. Remember, I mentioned this, and as we, we, when we go back to the Gospel of John, we'll see this over and over again. The, Jesus says, if you know me, you, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Um, we, are, uh, we are one. We are different and distinct, but we are one. There is this mutual indwelling of the Father and the Son together. That is something that is a part of this relationship of husband and wife along with a hierarchical relationship of one who is ahead and one who responds to the headship. The two must go together. 
Well, four wives, we have in this passage, we, we see in verse 22 and 23 and 24 some directives, particularly toward the wives. I, I read the whole passage because it is, it's so important to see that the husbands are responsible, that this, that this is embraced, enjoyed, matured um, in, in the home. And then, um, but, but there are the other passages, and I want to turn to Titus chapter 2 and take a look at just a couple of verses here as well. If you would turn with me to Titus chapter 2. I'll just pick up in verse 3. The older women, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the, the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. So women are, are, are to learn wisdom, to learn what is this femininity, what is this this role and these duties that are given to me, they're to learn them particularly from older women. And they can see from Paul what, what the kinds of lessons that the older women should be teaching. The older women are first instructed themselves against any of their own temptations. Did you see that in verse 3? Um, be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, and teachers of good things. It almost seems that Paul has an eye or as a consideration of, of the particular kinds of temptations that older women may need to remember to continue to mortify, that they might need to. And an important application, though, in, this, in this, this first verse here is that the older women are to be teachers of good things. This is not something that only a, a, a few of the older women are to be doing. Older women, well, excuse me, not that anyone here is an older woman. I mean, so one day, one day when you're an older woman. Well, actually, it is, it is very, it is very uh, uh, relevant or uh, relative in this kind of way. You can be in your 20s and be an older woman to be teaching those who are in their teens, for instance, a, a lot of good things. You, you can be, have been married for just a couple of years and have lots already to be able to give to somebody who's about to get married. You can be um, a mom busy with a whole bunch of kids at a number of different ages and have much to teach someone who's about to have their first child. You, you can, and so older women, uh, in one sense, there is re, there's a relativity to that. On the other hand, there is something to be said um, about somebody who has lived a long life, particularly faithfully as a Christian, that has much to give, much to teach. And, and older women, you're to be do, doing that. You are to be discipling the younger women. You are to, in, within this church, you ought to be discipling other women if you're an older woman in this church. Please do so. They need it because they're getting so much lies and pushback in, from the world all around them. They need the encouragement and prayer and, and those who will walk side with them. Well, here's what they're to be teaching, verses 4 and 5. You can see in these verses, and in, if we were to go through all of Proverbs 31, um, that the wife is to have her priorities toward the home, which is, which is different than saying that her place is in the home. She's not, it's not that she is homebound at all, but rather that she's home-oriented, it's not that she's homebound, but that she is home-oriented. She, uh, she is to learn great skills in dominion and management of the home. 
She oversees the spending of the home budget. That's in Proverbs 31, verse 14. But she also might make decisions in the purchase and sale of property and goods. Chapter 31, verse 16 and 24, in this list of, of what's going on in the wife of this, prover uh, this proverbial wife here. She brings these things into the home to make the home a glorious place of feasting, rest, and ministry. Uh, and again, I would point you to uh, Proverbs 31 for that. It says in verse 26, she opens her mouth with wisdom and on her tongue is the law of kindness. The idea is that, that, this is, uh, uh, that it's not a, a real vocation is, is rampant in our culture. And so um, you're a, a wife, a mother of many children um, is asked sometimes, well, yes, but do you work? <laughs> like, do you have a job? What do you do all day? Um, and, and it's just proof that this culture despises women, despises the ministry of a wife and a mother, um, and does not see how it is fitting into the work of taking dominion. It also is, um, um, is unfortunately connected to an idea that a man's particular identity has to do with the one vocation that he has out there in the world. Um, as though that career and that career path is the thing that he is, he is supposed to be doing. And it's oftentimes completely um, removed from any idea of how is this connected to taking dominion, building a kingdom, um, caring for, protecting, and providing for those who I am responsible for as well. Um, and, and it needs to be. So um, it, it, this, this also ties back into Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, where it says, Fathers, um, do not provoke your children to wrath, but raise them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. But, but immediately the wives are the ones who are, who are taking up much of that responsibility because they're more relationship-oriented. And so much of training our children um, comes from the wisdom that will come from your mother, will come from a mother. Proverbs 1.8 says, My son, hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother. Do not forsake the law of your mother. Proverbs 10.1 says, A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is the grief of his mother. A foolish son not only brings grief to the father, but there's the mother has... And that's not just... That's not just... She doesn't have grief because he's a fool, but she has grief because that's the fruit of something that she's been doing or not doing. She sees a, a relationship to that. So the, the father is responsible for it all, but mom has huge responsibility and opportunity to impart wisdom. She, like she's called on to give that wisdom of life to, to, the, to the children. And if, if she doesn't, then is, is, is what comes out is a great grief to her. Or I think this is probably the most important one, verse 30, chapter 30, verse 17, Proverbs. I think all moms ought to have their children memorize this. The eye that mocks his father and scorns obedience to his mother, the ravens of the valley will pick it out and the young eagles will eat it. <laughs> it should just be like, you know, in the bathroom on the mirror or something for all the... <laughs> the little plastic raven going, gawk, gawk, side. Just to remind them. Uh, as we prayed, it's, it's real, real hard work. If you're homeschooling, you're involved in education of your children in any way. It is long and tiresome work. Well, you, need, you, you, should, you, you, you have to know, you have to lean into it because, um, because God's blessing it. <laughs> I mean, it really is. 
There's, there, are, there are so many years where you are involved in that day-to-day child-rearing, and you can't see the fruit. I don't know how many times in teaching on uh, corporal punishment, on teaching on disciplining children, I have, um, you know, well, I've taught on it, have some family that will, will call me and say, you know, it's not working. And I said, well, how, how long have you been trying this? Well, about 15 minutes now. It's not working. You know, give it about 15 years. You'll, you're going to see. You're going to see the fruit of being a faithful mother who understands the role that you've been given in the training and discipleship of your children. You're going to see it. I got promises here that I can give you for that. And so you obey according to the promises and you give yourself leaning into that hard work. And God blesses. This is what he wants to do. This is how he wants to fill his world. And he hasn't... He hasn't given you children. He hasn't given you bodies that are able to bear children so that you can just drop them off at daycare for the rest of their lives. That, that's, it doesn't fit. If you just look biology, it doesn't work. That's not what's supposed to be going on. But instead, but we've said, well, but being at home and being with kids, what a waste of time. Why don't you get a job and, and, and find your identity? You're, you're building eternal souls. It's the greatest work. It's the greatest work that you're doing. It's the most important, it's the most dangerous work. Because it can go wrong. So, my goodness, give yourself to it. Give yourself to it with all of the authority that God has granted you, delegated to you, to train your children up in that daily task. In chapter 2, verse 4 of Titus, it reads, literally, husband lovers... Uh, when it says in, in, in verse 4 that they admonish the young women to love their husbands and to love their children, r- literally, it's, it's not the agape love. It's this, the, the word is this compound word. It actually means husband lovers and, and children lovers. It, it, it could be expressed, be into husbands and into kids. Be into it. God's telling you to be into it. And 5.33 calls wives to respect their husbands. And and the word there in 5.33 is phobos. It's where we get our word phobia. It's fear, reverence. So be into husbands and respect your husbands with fear and reverence. Together, this means more than not showing disrespect. Although it does mean that. She is to have a positive display of admiration, honor, and reverence to and about her husband. To her husband and about her husband, when she's talking about her husband. So the wife in Song of Songs writes, like an apple tree among the trees of the woods, so is my beloved among the sons. Now, maybe you don't want to say it that way. Maybe that just sounds a little too fruity for you. <laughs> um, and he'll, he'll, he and your, and your girlfriend will never believe that you really meant it when you said it that way. But, but do you see the point? What is, what is the attitude that you are to have towards your husband and for your husband and about your husband? Well, God, God says, be into him and do so with fear and reverence. Uh, the verse then continues in Song of uh, Solomon. I sat down in his shade with great delight and then goes on to describe the erotic love of husband and wife. Honoring her husband includes her responsiveness. She is to gladly receive his advances, both as a holy blessing, as we saw in Hebrews chapter 13, that the, the, uh, the, that the marriage bed is holy. 
So she is to gladly receive his advances as a holy blessing and as a protection for her and her husband, as it says in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 3 and 4. She's to understand, as the writer's song says, I am my beloved's, and his desire is toward me. And that's a good thing. And that's a good thing. And the fruit of such husband loving, if you're into husbands that way, well, the fruit of that is children. But that's the natural fruit as God gives regularly and naturally children. And so this, this verse also renders it children lovers. And this means that as God grants the opportunity for children, her day-to-day activities will be filled with them. It's natural. It's, it's the way God has established the world. These are your disciples, and this is your ministry. Um, and, and so so when you're busy with all these children, and then there's a call in the, in the church that you need to be, you know, we need, we need some people to minister in this way or the other way. And, and someone says, well, do you, no, do you have a ministry? And you think to yourself, I, I I don't really have a ministry. Oh, yes, you do. <laughs> oh, yes, you do. This, this is your first ministry, and you, you need to treat it that way because you will answer to God for it. These are the ones God has given you and your husband in that cultural mandate to fill the earth. And so be into husbands, into kids. This needs to be taught by the older women. The, the details of how to do so are something older women can be teaching younger women. And these wise women make homes. They make homes where life flourishes. And so she's told to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. The word of God is blasphemed if we're not about these things. Because that picture of Christ in the church is being portrayed. Because that submission to his mission is being lived out. So, again, she is obedient to her own husband. Submission is not something you have to think about doing, ever, unless it is the time when you differ with your husband. The only time you have to submit is when you don't agree. (laughs) But at the same time, there is this attitude of being under his mission and wanting to come alongside that is a responsive attitude a responsiveness to his initiation. And that's submission as well. Obedience is something that only has to be admonished when the wife would rather not. In the little things and in the big things, she is to honor her head in this way. And for all of this, I want to recommend a book. Um, If you've never read Rebecca Rebecca Merkel's book, Eve in Exile and the Restoration of Femininity, I highly um, regard it. In fact, um, I knew it was a book you know, buy a chick, four chicks, about being a woman and everything that was going on. Um, And then I heard some good things about it, and so I read it. And it's a book for men to read, especially men who have daughters. You really should read that book. Because we need to be instructing our daughters in what it means, why femininity is so important, so lovely, so glorious, so powerful. And I don't think men here really understand that all too well. Even exile, I recommend that book to you to read. So finally, the glory and power of a godly wife. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who causes shame is like rottenness in his bones. So as we have seen, the relationship of husband and wife is the quintessential picture of Christ and the church. Christ bestows glory, and his bride reflects that glory, which he wears as his crown. 
The excellent wife reflects this. She submits to her own husband as to the Lord, and this is a great mystery. So listen again to Ephesians 5.22 and then immediately 5.32. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Your, your activity is speaking even of Christ and the church. When Christ submitted to the Father, remember, he in no way became the Father's doormat. This is, this is biblical submission we're talking about. And Trinitarian submission. Biblical submission transforms others. Biblical submission moves to exaltation and glory. Biblical submission follows the pattern of death and resurrection and so declares the gospel when aligned with biblical headship. And so Paul says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And so, of course, the unbelieving culture around us cannot understand it. They cannot understand it because they can't see Christ and the church unless God grants them by faith. But you're preaching Christ and the church in the midst of it. And oftentimes you get a great opportunity because of it to talk to, talk to somebody. Why, why do you treat your husband that way? Why, do you, why, are, why are you so into kids? What's going on? Well, th these verses give you the defense, the apologetic for that. Finally, I've said this before. I've used this as an illustration before. Um, again, hear this. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. This is the dance of Trinitarian submission. The head needs, to glor the head needs glory to rest on it in order to be crowned. Think about that. The head needs glory to rest on it in order to be crowned. And a crown needs a head to show forth its glory. They need each other. But let us change the metaphor. In a Unitarian world, um, in, a, in a Muslim world, authority and submission is a fist fight with a winner and a loser, someone on top and someone beat down. And you see this in Unitarian cultures. In a Trinitarian world, authority and submission are a lovely dance. No gentleman bows to a lady after the dance and declares himself the winner. At the same time, his authority is no way demeaning her. He is leading her. He leads in the dance, and the better he leads, the more he showcases his lady. Right? She follows his lead, and his glory is revealed. All eyes fall on her and them, for he is dancing with his glory. This is the work or the picture of biblical submission. And let's all let's pray together for that. Heavenly Father, thank you for making man in your image, male and female. Thank you for the distinctiveness, the differences, the purposes, the goals that you have for men and women, for husbands and wives, for fathers and mothers. Forgive us for falling so short. Forgive us for discarding your word and discounting your word and promises. Instead, now bless us. Bless us to see, to hope, to believe and to act accordingly. Bless the men here with sacrificial masculine love in their homes. Bless the women here with Christ-like submissiveness to their husbands. And lead each one here to experience the greater glory that is the mystery of Christ and his church. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.